inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook. A show about accessibility. Advocacy. And equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning. Welcome to Outlook today on this Monday morning, 94.9 CHRW Radio Western. Hi, Brian. Hey. How are you doing today, Care? We got the final show of August here. This month is, this whole summer, I thought, kind of flew by. I know. I thought back to June. <laughs> I was like, wow. Um, but yeah, so students are still sort of staying away at the moment, at least from this, the UCC. Well, line. it's pretty quiet at the, at the, at the moment, but campus still. It's the week before, but next Next Monday will be uh, Labor Day, so yeah. next next week and uh, the following weeks are going to get a lot busier around here, but uh, it's kind of nice to have both both varieties in the summer. It's nice and quiet, but once things pick up a bit, you never know, you know what sort of listeners you might get or with a whole bunch of new people coming into town. And So I just wanted to you know wish all the students coming in a, a good year uh, coming up here, and uh, it'll be exciting to see uh, what happens in Outlook the next season. We'll be coming up on four years here as well, Carrie, in early September. So Yes, we will. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But uh, today we have another guest, and I'm really excited to introduce this one. And we're going to talk all about art, which is what we talked about last week as well. But let's oh yeah, last week's episode as well. Continue the theme. Yes, the last week episode. One more th- shout out to um, Rebecca Odom for coming yeah. on last week, and we talked a lot about a lot of things. But the, the one focus was audio description, so that was a really great discussion last week, which you can find. Us as a podcast anywhere, if you if you missed it live, uh, Outlook on Radio Western, just search that on all podcast services. Right. So our guest today, I recently got on Zoom with her. Uh, she invited me on Zoom for a brief thing. We recorded me dis- uh, we re- recorded me talking about what you know image descriptions and audio description. We talk a lot about that on the show. And if somebody's newly listening who isn't blind may not have heard of it. You know, we don't always always explain what it is every time, so people might not always know. So we we keep talking about it, and that's what we're talking about today. But uh, so you recorded me and our guest today, and uh, it's for this project you're doing, which we'll get to shortly in the show here. Uh, so welcome today to Outlook, Amy Amantia. Hello, friends. How are you? Great. Yeah, it's nice to nice to speak with you again, and uh, yeah, we definitely have a lot to talk about today with Amy Amanti. And uh, yeah, so many, so many things. Actor and artist, living with sight lost, loss. You, uh, you're a community outreach coordinator for Vocal Eye, which we'll definitely get into. Vocal Eye Descriptive Arts. You're also an accessibility coordinator at Arts Club Theater Company. Community reporter and movie reviewer at Accessible Media Incorporated. Well, yeah, I mean, I, we, the show talks to a lot of people who are blind, and uh, not just blindness, but um, that one specifically, because that's what Brian and I have. So, you know, some people we talk to on the show uh, were born blind, and then others weren't. So, um, I'd like to ask you about that, Amy, but um, thanks for coming on. You're out in BC. Uh, yeah, so we have another guest in the Pacific time zone. So yeah, we do appreciate early, you early getting up nice and early this morning. And, and how, how, are you, how are you doing today? And how are things out in, uh, in British Columbia? You know, uh, things are good. I'm, I'm used to the early morning, so this is no problem for me. And I appreciate sharing space with the both of you. 
Uh, yeah, our weather's been uh, um, warm and uh, probably not quite as hot as you all get in Ontario, um, but it's been it's been warm warm for Vancouver and uh, and a little bit more humidity than I would personally like. Um, what's different in Vancouver, or I guess most of British Columbia, but I'm in in North Vancouver specifically, um, is that uh, we don't have any homes with air conditioning. Because it's never been a thing that's been needed in this part of Canada. Yeah. So most of our homes don't have it. Whereas when I used to live in Mississauga when I was a young person. Oh, and really? Yeah, there's, I mean, everywhere, everywhere you go has air conditioning built in. Every house has it because it, it's recognized as a thing that you must have, right? To survive well, the summer. And during during COVID especially, we heard about all these long-term care homes that don't have yeah. it. And that's just inexcusable to me, but right. wow. Yeah. But yeah, it's like all places in Europe and the UK, you know, certain places around the world with, with this climate change stuff, like there, a lot of places aren't built structurally for this sort of thing. It's interesting right. for, for me to think back though, because we actually grew up without air conditioning until oh, yeah. I, I was maybe eight or nine. So it's, you know, it is possible to live without it, but especially uh, these days, were, it's, I think you were older. It's, yeah, I can't remember exactly when we got it. <laughs> I but think I was like a teenager or something. Yeah, he would. You would definitely remember maybe yeah. more than me. <laughs> I he would. Seems to affect you a little bit more, but yeah. I don't love it when it's super humid either. But uh, yeah, so I didn't realize you you lived in Ontario then at some point. So was that a very brief thing? Yeah, I was only there for maybe about a year, year and a half, and I was. I'm gonna say I have to reach back in my memory banks. I was. I was probably. Seven-ish, maybe? Seven, eight-ish? Yeah, my family lived there for a short time. My father's in the uh, shopping center industry, which oh. is a little bit like being in a military family. But he <laughs> was running, I want to say it was uh, South Center, a mall called South Center at the time. Wow. Uh, I heard a really interesting podcast recently. I forget what it was, through Slate or something, where they were exploring how shopping malls have changed in the last hundred years and where they're, where they're headed. Really? And, yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, when you when you start to know people that work in these industries, even like when you learn about folks who work in like grocery stores, mm-hmm. all of the research that goes into what this is all for sighted folks. It doesn't matter to me what shelf things are on, but you know <laughs> what goes on what shelf is very tied to marketing. Yeah, part, right? product stuff at eye level and the stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. totally tied to marketing. So everything is laid out very specifically for you to be able to buy. Uh, to spend more money in a grocery store than you ever had thought you would going into it. Well, that's the part that I like about anything like that is the, the psychology behind these things. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. Well, an interesting, you know, we, we talked with so many guests here with hearing what their parents did and, and that's fascinating to hear that. Um, so what what was it then? Do you remember the difference between Ontario and BC from living here or was it too long ago? Oh, gosh. I mean, I remember... Uh, Mississauga being um, I I lived in a cul-de-sac so I had lots of friends in the cul-de-sac I remember having a pool in my backyard which was so important in the summer I remember all the snow yeah that's right I remember all the snow which is not something that we get here and of course I don't have a pool in my yard here in Vancouver either Um, so yeah I mean I I don't remember specifically the the, the big differences but um, you know, I, I I loved the time that I was there. And then, you know, dad got a new job at a new mall and off we went to a new... So, I, I mean, I've lived in so many places. I was born in the States. My brother was born in the States because my dad was working at different shopping centers there. And I think, you know, uh, before well, before I was, you know, old enough to remember remember things, I think we lived in St. Catharines as well. And I've lived in Calgary and oh. different parts of... Yeah, so I've been a little bit everywhere. 
Yeah, that's great actually that you that you say all that because we we do like to st- kind of start from the beginning a little bit with our guests and get a bit of an idea of the background and and a little bit about childhood or whatever somebody's comfortable talking about. But like for example, you weren't uh, as far as I'm aware, you weren't born blind. Is that is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I was not born uh, with blindness. I I did have my full sight, and I had my full sight until I was about 24 years old, and um, I. I was diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was five. So I had lived for almost, you know, a full 20 years with no complications of diabetes. Mm. I used to actually say to folks, there's nothing wrong. Like there's no problem with this. Diabetes is an easy thing. <laughs> yeah, nothing, um, yeah. And yeah. Right. And I mean, I was well managed. My father's also a type one diabetic. So my family knew uh, how, to, how to manage it. My mother was the kind of person who um, weighed all of my food and made sure that my, you know, it was a different way of, 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 um, managing diabetes back then where you had a, a, a regimented dosage of insulin every day. So I remember mine was 20 and 20, 20 units in the morning and 20 units in the evening. And then you had to match your food with that dosage. Whereas today it's kind of opposite. You can pretty much eat whatever you want and then match your insulin. Yeah. Our brother, our brother-in-law has it and he got diagnosed, uh, oh, just maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, as yeah. an adult, as an yeah. adult, and so he's gone through all the technology now. He's, you know, he's had yeah. a pump, pump, but now with modern stuff, and but yeah, it does seem like Brian and I have have had kidney failure, so it's sort of those things are kind of related enough that we yeah. can. And it's just a fu- not funny to me, but interesting to me how the, some of the you know the issues you can get with type with diabetes are blindness and kidney failure, which is what we we have. So it's all sick, you know, it's all circular. Yeah. 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 So then, so then growing up with, with the type one diabetes and, and how was that the sort of your experience growing up? And obviously did you also kind of, what was your experience with blindness? Do you remember anything about blindness? Like, did you know of anyone who was blind growing up? Obviously we, we're always just curious how, how. Yeah. What people's impressions are about blindness and disability before they, it's, you know, they're dealing with it uh, when it doesn't affect them directly. And then all of a sudden after when it does. You know, I had uh, a great aunt that I had always heard rumors of who was a a blind diabetic in our family. And uh, I had never met her, um, but had had known that it was a thing. And from the very young age, not, I mean, not too young, five is a little too young, but they, you know, as soon as you hit your teenage years, they start to tell you about some of the things that could happen with diabetes. So I was always aware that it was a possibility, but I was under such well control and it turns out that it doesn't even matter with diabetes if you're well controlled it's an insidious illness on the body especially the audio uh, type 1 is an autoimmune disease as opposed to a lifestyle uh, that's oversimplified it would be like lupus and and, and you know yeah but but essentially arthritis all these immune diseases yeah your your body tends to you know for example they think that i might have had a, a flu coming on and my my antibodies were attacking the flu and then over attacked and killed my islet cells which are the insulin producing cells so you know therefore you don't have any more cells that that create insulin in your body and um yeah so there's there was a a a whole bunch of things that i had learned about but i don't think that i had known anybody specifically with blindness um other than you know like aging folks in your family and even the vision does start to go for most people yeah And even then, you don't necessarily recognize that as a small child, but also I was never living in a city uh, for a long period of time with any of my relatives. So even like all of my my grandparents and stuff were from Calgary. So I hadn't hadn't lived in Calgary since I was 
really, really young. And then I would say after, because we went from Calgary to Mississauga, then Mississauga out here to Vancouver. So I've been in Vancouver the, the bulk of my life. And so, so far away from the everyday lives of grandparents and such that if those things were happening to them, I wasn't noticing the day-to-day of mm-hmm. that. So I was probably as typical as many able-bodied folks who didn't necessarily see disability until it was on their radar. Except for the one thing I will say, I was the kid growing up in school, always made friends with like the wheelchair users. And for whatever reason, I felt like they were my community. And I didn't, you know, one of my best friends had cerebral palsy and wasn't able to speak, right? It's like, I, 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 I always knew that the disability community wasn't a community to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas other kids in school were kind of like, oh, I don't know if I should hang out with that kid. They're using a wheelchair, right? Um, But I think when I was growing up too, we didn't have, we didn't have blindness integrated into our public schools the same way as we do other disabilities. Whereas now, as you all know, I hope you all know, but here in BC, certainly, I know you all have uh, um, uh, W. Ross McDonald. in Brantford. Yeah, yeah, which we don't have here in Vancouver. We have an integrated system, but I think you also have integrated or we have vision teachers that go into schools. And, yeah, I think Toronto School Board was the, maybe one of the first that sort of tackled Yeah, that started and, doing that in the late 60s. And luckily and we were in school in around 1990 and, and, and afterwards. So it was it was picking up then, but our, our parents had to fight for it as well. So yeah, it's come, yeah. Al- come a long way and it's it's different than it was. But Yeah. Yeah, but I think that's really great to get that background and to talk about because we, you know, we talk about everything on this show and any sort of anything that somebody deals with and diabetes, you know, is, is another whole thing that somebody has to deal with and lives with. And do you remember sort of when, when they did tell you and as, as a teen more so what sort of things you could expect? Like, do you remember feeling how you felt at the time? Were you like at all like afraid of this stuff or nervous of, of maybe becoming blind if that could happen? Or like, I mean, I guess you're, you're a teen at the time. So well, you maybe might have just been like, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I'm just kind of curious your, how I you think, felt at the time. Yeah. I think I've probably felt like I was invincible. Like I have this under control. Nothing's going to happen to me. I'm a little bit feeling, feeling a little bit like Teflon. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't actually until I think I was maybe 16 or 17 and I went to see my doctor and my blood sugars were kind of a little out of whack, but I was, you know, you're a teenager. So those, those things tend to happen. And, um, and he was reminding me about blindness. And what he said to me was now you have to be very careful. He, he was the oldest man in the world. He basically wrote the book on diabetes, very British, very, um, straightforward. And what he said to me was, uh, blindness. And what he said to me was with these numbers, he said, you gotta be careful. You could be blind by the time you're 24. And wouldn't you know, I was blind by the time I was 24. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's just, I mean, you know, he has, you, you, you couldn't make that guess or anything. It's not like there's a, a pill or a blood test or something. Well, that they, will tell they you ask if, if when you have cancer, how much time do I have? You know, some right? doctors have seen enough that they can predict. No, but that's, that was nice and right on. It was, uh, well, I think, I mean, he could have said by the time I was 50, he, you know, he could, he could have picked any number in the world, but I think what happened was it kind of manifested in the universe. <laughs> you oh, know what I mean? Like when you say something out loud. Oh no. Did you come out, because, did you find him in the yeah. street someday and be like, Hey. <laughs> and, and I remember going to school that next day and saying to my friends, almost in a bragging way, like, listen, this diabetes thing is because nobody had ever seen me, um, air quotes, struggle with it, you know, yeah, for all you intents and purposes. You weren't sick I, to them. 
Yeah, I was never I was never sick. I'd never been hospitalized when I was diagnosed. My parents, my grandparents actually caught the symptoms, so I never went into a hospital because wow. um, they knew the symptoms because of my my father's experience with diabetes. So once once I started drinking and peeing all the time, they were like, mm, I think this kid needs to be tested, right? So I, I skipped all of that that stuff, um, which is probably better for my body, right? Because my body didn't have to go through yeah, put, um, put it off as long as you trauma. could. Yeah, and that yeah. really goes to show the, the spectrum of so many things where you say that, you know, growing up with it, it didn't really affect your life in many ways no. at all. And so, again, it goes to show that we sometimes, as people and as, as we get older, I think we all start to realize it more and more that just because our experience with something goes one way, that doesn't mean that the, that's the way it is for a lot of people. So right. it's easy in the moment to be like, oh, see, I, this is fine. There's nothing to think about when you start to realize that it's not quite the same and, for, and for it, everyone. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't until um, my... I guess once I uh, lost my sight, then I started to actually pay more attention to the kinds of things that could be um, a complication of diabetes. Because I'd never spent any time doing any research into it. You know, uh, again, I was invincible. Well, you, you'd had it, you'd had it for so long in in throughout your early early you life, know it. and yeah. your parents had such a good handle that you just didn't take it on yourself until later. Yeah. Well, I, I just I just didn't. Um, I just didn't think about anything past the blindness, which is the the most sort of well-known possible complication. But it turns out that I have several complications, some of them very, very rare. Isn't that nice when you get to be rare? <laughs> That's right. When you get to be the, the the medical anomaly and people go, oh, I don't know why this is happening. Well, You're I'm like, not. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not a huge fan of the term special needs, but uh, yeah. when you say rare, you, I mean, I guess you could. Yeah, it sounds I kind say of medically, medically complicated is my, <laughs> medically complex is my term. Yeah. Medically complex. Well, yeah. Brian and I have a, a, a similar situation, and it's that shows what what teenager what you, what you know what someone's teen years are like for them, and how that might shape them. Because you know, I didn't have that invisibility when I was a teen, because I got sick right at puberty and right as I was a teen. So I yeah. I had a lot of years where I was like I could die, I, and who knows here? My brother yeah. could get sick here, and so we weren't like, oh, we're gonna live forever. But you know, the older you get, too, you do start to take more responsibility for your own. Life. And the and the and the more you recognize what mortality is, yeah. And then I right? think that also shows the different, the sort of the the binary of either the the these conditions and disabilities being this, you know, it makes people stand out, which oftentimes people don't like. But in the other side, it doesn't have to be that way. You can also sort of try to, and that's something we we try to work on more and more and discuss here is acceptance and and this this whole idea of disability pride of of kind of looking at it as that makes me unique and that makes me who I am and that's. You know, obviously, I think sometimes, especially when you're, especially, I mean, in the world in general, we just want to fit in. But at the same point, if, if you know, these are the things that I think makes think makes us more interesting and unique as a, as a community and as a population to, to talk about these these differences and, and what we all experience. Well, I, I, I am now in my life um, and, you know, it takes a while for, for people to get here. Not everybody does. Um, and, and when I lost my sight, you know, there's the whole learning curve of, well, how do I brush my teeth and how do I make sure my clothes match and how do I cook for myself? And, and so when you acquire sight loss, you, you, I mean, you're, you're, you're pretty much in, uh, indoctrinated into a routine, right? You know how you do stuff, you know how, and then all of a sudden you have to learn. We had, like, how do I use a computer? You have to relearn everything. Mm -hmm. So there was a couple of years for me where I took time to relearn stuff where I left my car on the driveway thinking one day my sight will come back. And then when it didn't, I was like, okay, time to sell the car. Um, so I never really had this like moment of big grief around it. I was just like, okay, what's the next thing? But now I, I, I look back and I think, you know, 
if I look at this in a different perspective, and I've done this for years, instead of instead of walking around saying, poor me, why did this happen to me? I could say, you know what? What are the gifts that this has offered in my life? Yeah, who, 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 have, you, who have you met that you wouldn't yeah. have met? Or mm-hmm. Yeah, where am I working? What are the projects I'm, I'm doing? Whose radio show am I on, right? Like Thank all you, of yeah. these things are, yeah, all of these things I uh, have become gifts in my life. And that, you know, when you when you start to look at your life that way, as opposed to, yeah, you wake up, sometimes I wake up and I go, gosh, this morning really sucks. You know, I, I'm running late and if I could only see better, I'd be able to do things faster, whatever. And, and then I let it go. Like it's a human to have those emotions and those experiences but for the most part I think about my blindness as something that's inconvenient but it's not for me terminal it's and I want to live my life that's it doesn't hurt it's like physically that's right I want to live my life and that is you know if we really wanted to talk about it some of the other things I have with diabetes I think oh well that I could give back but (laughs) (laughs) again that's that's how I felt with my when I was diagnosed with kidney kidney disease I I kept thinking around those those years I was like you know the blindness is nothing that I was born blind is the way it's always been for me but when this kidney stuff came about it's like ah why do I have to deal with this and go to this clinic and get blood work and all this stuff so it's it really goes to show the the difference and and depending on uh, when it hits you in life and when you go through the experience of uh and that's what i loved about art and about you know learning your life with a disability whether it changes a lot over the years or not is the older you get you have a different perspective and that's what art's about perspective and looking at something Mm -hmm. from an artist's point of view and then from the from the viewer's point of view and each person will experience that differently and i love that's how you look at it i agree um you know we're all trying to sort of look at it that way because i i too like brian's always had stable light perception only and i've had my vision change so much over my lifetime and yeah you know i i don't get down about it every second but i as I get older, I do have some grief moments where I'm just like, you know, this sucks. And it, it mm-hmm. feels like I have to work all the harder to do certain things. And I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So it's tricky. I, I, I appreciate you sharing all that with us because it's such a different thing for each person. Well, I probably wouldn't be. I mean, I was I was born an artist. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to be a working artist without the blindness. And I mean that because... There was an expectation on me growing up from family that, you know, I was going to go to university and have a good job and buy a house and have a family and have some kids. Like there was, you know, the, 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 this perspective that the the world puts on you, their assumption of what you are going to do with your life. Yeah. And that felt very real to me when, you know, uh, people in my life would say, well, where are you working these days? And if I said something like, well, I'm working at the wo- local Walmart, that wasn't good enough, Right. Um, and, and I don't want to say that people sort of decided that they were going to lower their expectations because I lost my sight. But what it did was, I think what it did was it made people in my family think, wow, life is short and precious. Let's do the things we love. And uh, and it opened up the door for me to really focus on doing artistic stuff and working in the arts. Whereas I don't think I would have had the same, almost the same guts to have been able to follow that dream. I I can see where you're coming from in, in some ways there. Similarly in my own life, yeah. I mean, it does afford you a different path that you wouldn't have taken. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you couldn't have had any of those things you just listed there yeah. still. Uh, but but did I want those things was the question, right? That's what I always think about now. Maybe I'm, yeah. you know, I'm being too philosophical about it all. But it's like, when do we do what we want to do? And how do you know what that really is? Because the world yeah. puts so yeah. much, the world puts so much on you, and including with disability, the barriers that are out there. It's not usually the disability, like you said, unless it's terminal and you got to deal with certain emotions. But a lot of the emotion comes from 
dealing with a world that's just not quite set up for us yeah. to move easily through it. It takes extra adaptation and practice, which everybody has that to some degree, but, you know, for disability and blindness, that's definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, when you were 24 then, when you did when you did um, start to lose your sight there, um, just a couple quick things on that. So, for one, I was kind of curious maybe what you were doing at that time and then how losing the sight maybe affected that or in, in that moment if, if you were working or going to school and if you had to kind of quit doing a certain job or something because you were losing sight. And then the other thing I kind of wanted to, which is a bit of, of a tangent, but I just, I've heard your episode on the, the AT Banter podcast, which we've had the, the crew from that show on our, on our program. And it was a really yeah. great episode. And I, I noticed that the, you're accessing Art with Amy, a podcast that you have, which we'll also get into, um, that you interviewed Leona Godan, who we've had on our show. And a big thing yeah. that you, you've often talked about is words and the power of words. And I just thought maybe if you could speak briefly on that and just a term that just offhand that's um, right in front of me here, my Braille display is sight loss. And I'm just, Again, I'm maybe looking a little deep into it, but I kind of wonder that that term, is that the term you prefer to go by for your blindness? I know everyone sort of has their own way of identifying yeah. it. And I think I just, sometimes I do question, and it probably is from reading Leona's book and just the times yeah. that we're in and thinking more about it is sight loss to me still has a bit of a negative kind of feel because it has the word loss in it. Impairment, loss. Yeah. But where, yeah. Whereas for me, I would... I. I mean, maybe I, I think in the past I've said visually impaired or maybe sight loss, but now I do just say blind. But again, it's obviously always personal preference what someone wants likes to say. But yeah, I just thought maybe if you could speak briefly, briefly to that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't used the word sight loss myself in many years, um, but I I will go by anything except visually impaired. So visually impaired for me is is and for a lot of people that I know and as we know, language is is constantly evolving. Right, yeah. but. Visually impaired is a very, it's, it's a medical term, right? You come out of your doctor's office and you have an acute visual impairment or profound visual, visual impairment. And so often that's the language that we learn around, um, around our, our, our sight conditions. Um, so I, I, I like, you know, low vision, low vision is one that I, I prefer that I, that I tend to like specifically because I think it, it equals visual impairment the most. Yeah. Um, right. Because you're right. If you're born Makes without sense. your without your sight, you haven't lost sight. Um, right. Uh, and uh, so for me, I did lose sight, but I'm not married to that term. So I will go by sight loss, uh, low vision, vision loss, blind, partially sighted, partially blind, visual <laughs> yeah, experience, non-visual experience. Like I'll use them all. Blind. I use blind a lot. Even though I have a small amount of partial, blind is usually the thing that I use. Sometimes I use legally blind, um, and that's really just because um, still today, as we all know, blindness is a spectrum. But when you say blind, they think that you are totally blind, and that's what and, you know. That's why I like yeah. how in the autism community, it's autism spectrum. You know, because it is a spectrum, so we need to have that same look of we need to put that on blindness. I think, and that's what Leona's book talked a lot about, but. Yeah, and Le Leona's great. Her and I had a, a great conversation around the word visual impairment um, outside of uh, that episode. And she was also on Access Radio, who you were all on. And her and I have stayed connected because she's also an artist. Mm -hmm. um, and so we had some some great conversation around it. Um, because in the blind, well, in the, in the disability community, the blind community is the last community to let go of the word impaired. We're the last. Yeah. So we're not, there's no cognitive impairment. There's no hearing impairment. There's no mobility impairment yet still there is visual impairment and the reason why some people are coming away from the term impairment is because it sets up a power dynamic 
So if you're impaired, you're broken. And if you're not impaired, you're perfect, right? So if people think that I'm broken before they even meet me, I have no way of being able to to gain equity. Yeah. Right. They're already coming in with their, language. Yeah. Yeah. With language comes um, unconscious bias, right? So even if you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way, you're using the term impaired. Yep. Right. When we use the term garbage, we use it all the time, but it equals something. Right. And we don't really think about what what that is, but we use those words and they have an impact. Right. So it, it's so interesting to me, this power of language. Yeah. Well, it is. It's the fact too. like I, you know, in the past, I've said visually impaired myself. And then the more I thought yeah. about it, I'm like, why am I saying that? And it's like, oh, it's because that's what people say. Like, there's no other that's reason. Right. I'm not actually thinking about what I'm really saying with those words. But I just yeah. I do think it's an important discussion because I know a lot of people. There's a, there's a, some people who seem to get, you know, quite frustrated and they say, oh, things are yeah. too sensitive and we're overthinking everything. But I do think that it, it really is important to, to, to take note of. And of course, you know, this going back to that whole idea, if, if words don't, if it's just words, then what's that sort of takes any importance out of words, which are how we communicate. So I don't think it's that Absolutely. simple. You know, they, they have such an yeah. effect. Yeah, well, this is flying by like we always know it will. And uh, maybe Mm. after the break, we'll get in again a bit, uh, hear that other part of Brian's question about where you were when you lost your sight and and to to help us move into what you're doing now. Yeah, that sounds great. We're speaking with Amy Amanti today here on Outlook, actor and artist, also um, the community outreach coordinator for Vocal Eye, and we'll definitely talk about Vocal Eye in the second half as well. You're listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western, and we'll be right back after these promos. Outlook. On Radio Western. Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook today, the last show of August. 2022, or as you're listening as a podcast, we're talking today to someone else who also has a podcast, uh, which we'll talk about again here, Amy Amantia. And thanks again, Amy, for coming on Outlook. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah. So as we've been talking about, Amy, lost you lost your sight in your 20s or, you know, that's when blindness uh, started coming into your life. And you know, we can talk all about chronic illness, but in the second half, I wanted to talk about art specifically. Um, before the break, Brian sort of asked you, you know, where were you in your life when the blindness came upon you? And then how, you know, what made that, what was altered at that time for you? I was working uh, and studying. I was working at a local jewelry store, jewelry chain, but store, chain, yeah, chain, here in Vancouver. And I was studying gemology, which is wow. the art of- rocks and yeah. uh, minerals, mostly gemstones. And um, I had taken a diamond grading course and I was on my way. This is, you know, part and parcel be- to being an artist because to it, it's it's the mixture of science and the arts in, in gemology because you can look at a diamond and two people will look at it the same way and they'll say, oh yeah, I see that inclusion. I'm going to grade it as an X, Y, Z. And another person will see it and say, oh, I see that inclusion, inclusion and I'm going to grade it an A, B, C. Right. So there's no, even though there's a scientific sort of formula for it, you have to be creative in how you um, grade gemstones and how you diagnose two red stones and one's a ruby and one's a garnet. Right. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there. So I was studying gemology and working uh, in the jewelry industry. And uh, my dream was to have been to go to the mines and find the new stuff that's coming out. Wow. 
I, that dream never happened. In fact, I, I lost my, uh, my sight um, just as I was about to take my final test for the gemology program. So, you know, uh, my, my, uh, the jewelry store was, was great. I went on long-term disability. They kept me on uh, my benefits as long as, as possible. And then, uh, which I, you know, at the time was like, wow, this is, thank you. That's such a lovely thing that I learned. It's actually part of employment standards. So they had no choice mm. but to do it. Um, but, you know, I was like, you yeah, know, this is, thank you. This is great I'm, because I'm gracious, I had, yeah. Yeah, yeah time, I had sure. to leave a couple of times for eye surgeries. And then I went, I, I went back after my first surgery. Uh, and then I, I only had one working eye, but I was still driving and still able to look inside of gemstones and all that kind of stuff. And then when I had the surgery where my retina detached, on the on the one working eye that I had, that wasn't able to be um, repaired, and so um, so I, I had to say to them, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I I have to take a year off for healing, right? And that's a, that's a long time, but uh, yeah, so they were obligated to do that stuff. And then you know your insurance company does this thing where they're like, okay, time to return you to work, and their goal is to put you back in a position or a similar position to what you had before your whatever. And uh, well, there was no sending me back to look into microscopes like that just wasn't going to that wasn't going to work. Um, so I had to, you know, reinvent myself and, and you know, learn how to use computers and take courses and all that kind of stuff. So I, I remember what I remember is is coming home after the lot of the, the second retina had detached and um, and I didn't panic about it. I just thought, OK, you know, I'm just going to take this one day at a time and not not a, I couldn't put toothpaste on my toothbrush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought, okay, this is different. This right. is different. Um, and I so I went to bed that night without brushing my teeth, thinking, yeah, you know what? Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow will be different. I'll have a handle on this tomorrow, right? It's a new day. Uh, and I, yeah, and I remember looking at things in my house and thinking, that doesn't look the same as it used to. That doesn't look okay. What is that? How do I right? Um, so I, you know, I think when when I went in for surgery, that the words that were said to me was. Um, your retina is detached and you'll either wake up and you'll see or you'll wake up and you won't. Mm. And I had to sort of, you know, I, I say this tongue in cheek because I'm not a religious person, but you know, like you say a little prayer to the universe and you say, okay, I'm in your hands. It's going to be what it's going to be. I'm hoping for the best, but I'm prepared for whatever comes my way. And so I, I, like I said to you before, I didn't really have a grieving process around any of this. I sort of just took things one day at a time and thought to myself, okay, what's the next step? Like 24 is too young to retire. What's the next step? And I gave myself permission to take the time that it needed, that I needed to go through those steps and to reach the new milestones, right? It's like, when you learn how to use a screen reader, it's like, okay, you know, when you're, when you've, when you've used it your whole life, that's one thing. But when you're learning it from a, from a, a perspective of yes, yesterday, I read everything with my eyes and today I have to listen to everything yeah, because a lot of people reader. are like, what? I can't understand that. How do you understand that? <laughs> yeah, and, and course, I was a yeah. very visual, very, very visual learner when I was uh, Yeah, well, that, my- that actually kind of came up last week s- similar to that where I, I brought up how, you know, for me being born blind and, and just having the same little bit of light perception my entire life, I was always used to the screen reader, never had the visual concept. Whereas for Carrie, yeah. and I don't know if this was kind of a case for you, where Carrie, when she uses a screen reader, she's still kind of in her mind is trying to visualize the screen and where things are. And that yeah, I can't turn my brain off. Can make it a little harder yeah, sometimes yeah. to, to learn too, a, a computer yeah, because totally you're, do that too. you're trying to imagine it visually. When your it's, attention's divided and you can't totally yeah. focus. And yeah, your your mind's always a bit scattered there. And so yeah, and the visual special. layout is completely different. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like if you're trying to follow in your mind, like 
save something into a folder into it yeah like that is completely different visually than it is from an audio <laughs> perspective completely different so i would go through and i think okay where is this folder if i was going to imagine this folder where is it right. you can't you just can't do it but yeah. the, the thing i like is that with art we're talking a lot more in disability and blindness art spaces about tactile art because you know that's a different yeah. way of taking in information it's like reading braille versus reading with your eyes or, or listening to an audiobook and, and taking it in through your ears it's like yeah. how can we maybe and- have these tactile displays of what a computer screen looks like or do we need that when do you use that and when you get well yeah it's kind of like the when the iphone came out care and that still it's kind of gives you a bit more of a visual feel because you can tap around on the screen and figure out what's where based on that so you do have that visual sort of connection in some some degree even still not quite the same as actually looking at it well that's why it's great when when blind kids are little and they're taught maps because yeah it does help you visualize your world in, in in big and small ways so um but that was totally different for you and yeah sure. it's 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 good to have to learn those to, to have to learn those things some people might thrive under the pressure of being like okay i want to keep this job and i need to learn to use my computer uh with a screen reader and i can continue my work otherwise it's like well i'm going i'm blind and i'm going to need this and i'm going to learn it, it there's yep. not the same pressure in that case and some people thrive on one and some on the other but uh, yeah, so yeah, you you were, <laughs> and that's the interesting thing about science and disability and kids growing up with blindness, getting into science. You know, there are things like, well, we can't, you can't be a scientist because you're blind, and there are ways you can now, and more pe- more yeah, people who are, says? yeah. But it, you know, you know, studying gems is fascinating because yeah, people look at di- diamonds, for example, as being these perfect things, and it's yeah. it's it's another metaphor for disability and humanity because you know we're all broken in spots, you know, maybe cracked a little, yeah. but we're we're also whole when you know. Uh, so yeah, it's fascinating to think of that that uh, <laughs> metaphor, um, but so we're going to talk about Vocalia. I don't know if you maybe would have been the if you'd be the like spokesperson to have a whole episode on Vocali um, or not, or Probably. if it'd be someone else you'd talk to for that. But we wanted to start with you personally, just because we love, you know, all the art you do and, and your story and stuff and talking to you. But um, we don't have, you know, tons of time to talk about Vocali specifically, but we will talk about it briefly here. Um, when did that happen for you? Vocali was uh, started around the time of the Olympics here in Vancouver, so 2010. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was, yeah, that was an was exciting one. The, it, was a, it was an exciting year, for sure. And and the organization was started because the provincial government had the world uh, in its backyard and wanted to show the world oh. how accessible we were. Yes. Uh, so they threw some money at an organization called Kickstart Disability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard of it. And uh, Kickstart um, brought in some describers and trained some describers. And then the money dried up after the Olympics. And so uh, one of the describers, Steph Kirkland, um, was offered the equipment. So, you know, Vocalide describes art and culture, uh, live arts and cultures for uh, our audiences who are blind and partially sighted. And so there is a little um, radio receiver about the size of a deck of cards and a single earpiece. So it's important that it's single so that you can use one ear to hear what's around you and the other ear to get the information from the describer, right? Um, and so uh, Kickstarter said to Steph, you know, we don't, there's no more money for this, but if you were to start a nonprofit society, we will gift you this equipment, probably valued at between three and $5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go off and start uh, an organization. So Steph Kirkland is the founder and executive director of Vocali, and her and I have been sort of a, 
uh, uh, the two head staff folk uh, because she doesn't live with blindness and I do. And um, uh, we have not looked back since that time. I started as a board member, so I was a founding board member. And then in 2019, Steph said to me, I've, I, I have enough money now to have some staff. So are you interested in being a staff member? And oh I was kind of hesitant at first. Mm-hmm. I was afraid because I I thought, oh my gosh, uh, this is like this is a big deal to to be a staff member, and I don't I don't know what that looks like. I only know what it looks like to be a board member. So I was terrified initially, but you know, it's I, we've not looked back, and we've grown and developed Vocal Eye into so many so many things because um, traditionally Vocal Eye was describing live theater events, and we did other things like we uh, took folks to fireworks. Yeah. yeah, we did we do tactile fireworks. Um, uh, we did some tactile dance uh walking tours so we walk around the city and we're, we're you those. know you can, you can touch public art and yeah all sorts of fun things and then the pandemic hit and none of that stuff was a, a a real thing for us to be able to do so we we went online and we started doing described uh, plays and audio plays and bringing in artist guests to talk us through their art process and describe to us like their pieces of work right so and that that platform has been uh we're almost at our 100th episode of doing what we call it we call it the almost live virtual vocal eye almost live <laughs> okay. um yeah. right i mean we are live in the space but we're not live in person with each other and we have folks that join i mean carrie you you've been there yourself so we have folks that join us from all over Canada, Turtle Island, uh, from again all over the states. Folks that have joined us from Japan and Australia and New Zealand. So it's really it's it's been a real uh, lovely place to to have community. Yeah, and I yeah I discovered it during the pandemic, and it was something interesting to do because I've always loved art myself, and I don't know what art I'd be doing right now if I still had my sight or more sight. Uh, you do photography and acting, I do. And, and a whole bunch of stuff. Beading, and beading at jewelry. Beading, so you kept yep. that up, and uh, so. I guess yeah. The, the the Zoom was great for that, and I so I attend those Wednesday nights. And you're you're on a break at the moment, but you're back October fifth. That, that's right, right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So that's on Wednesdays. And if people want to find out more, I guess vocali.ca is probably the great place to go. There's also a YouTube channel that has I think is everything uploaded on there that you've done. Almost everything. There are some things that we are not allowed to record just because of property rights. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if we're sharing a described play from another theater company, they say, yeah, you can do it one time. You can't record it. Right. But anything that we curate ourselves, um, we can record. So, you know, uh, Julia Bonet, uh, I always call her Bonet. It's Bonnet uh, because I'm thinking about it in the French way. But it's Julia Bonnet, who is a uh, an opera singer, was an opera singer, who's now going through a journey of of uh, blindness. Um, would come and teach us all about opera, and we would go through those steps uh, through audio clips. So we started really, really, uh, I would say benignly, because a lot of folks aren't familiar with with opera. Myself yep. included. It's not very accessible for blindness in yeah, general, but, but it's and, not and, everybody's cup of tea. But yeah. It's not Absolutely. And so we started that by by sharing like famous movie clips that were using opera as the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And t- so like um, uh, Mission Impossible and the Shawshank Redemption. Right. And then we would talk about the arias and, and all of those. And I was like, oh, my gosh, opera is far more interesting than I ever gave it credit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so that's something that we curated and we continue to build on. So every handful of months, uh, Julia comes back and shares something with us so we did La Boheme we did the comparison of La Boheme and Rent which was a fun day and and then we curated stuff like Rocky Horror Picture Show mm-hmm. which is a really cult classic and 
so for folks who have never seen it, there's a lot of costume going on and a lot of yeah. really interesting visuals. So we just shared some musical clips and we did the same thing with Hedvig, right? So, you know, those things are all up on the YouTube channel because we have been able to curate them and the resource material is is publicly sourced. It's publicly available on the internet. Yeah, it looks yeah. like there's so much there's so much up there. And so, yeah, if people go to vocali.ca, I think there's links to it. But it's also on the YouTube channel is youtube.com slash user slash. And I like this. It's Vocal Eiffel and it's E-Y-E-F-U-L. So yeah. Vocal Eiffel. And then, yeah, you can find all of these these uh, videos on YouTube or at least the ones that you were authorized to uh, to upload. Yeah, I'd yeah, say yeah, yeah. One, of the, one of the Zoom Almost Lives you did that I really like was, I believe it was describing the Imagine, Imagine Van Gogh exhibit that was been, yes, that's been touring. Yeah. I think it's yeah. in London this fall. I, I almost want to go to it now. And I always wonder, would I get anything out of it? Is it worth me spending money and going? And then I'm like, you know, this is how I'm trying to get back into art. And you guys at Vocal, yeah. I have done a lot to help me with that, to feel comfortable again. I, I gave up any kind of visual art because I thought I can't see it. Um, but, you know, a lot of blind people, you know, people with very low vision do it. So it's just fascinating all the different art forms there are and we've talked about a lot of those but there's so much and and you offer your beaded jewelry through Vocali to help raise money and I have some of those yep. pieces and so that's that's the kind of jewelry I like I'm not great at accessorizing but I do like when there's <laughs> a, you know there's meaning to something and it came from yeah. something and it represents I'm the same. yeah yeah yeah, I do. Uh, I do a, a line of jewelry for Vocal Eye that uses the evil eye bead. Um, so they often they say it's Turkish, but you know, most many many cultures in the uh, Middle Eastern cultures use it, and it literally looks like a bullseye. They can be lots of colors, but traditionally it was dark blue, then a ring of uh, lighter blue, then possibly a, a ring of white and then a black dot in the center so it's kind of like a bullseye um and there it's very and, and traditionally i mean it's it's a talisman so traditionally it has been to ward off the evil eye so somebody that gives you the stink eye or somebody that maybe is jealous of you or whatever it is but it became our symbol not because of its meaning and meaning is just lovely but because it it was the closest thing to an eyeball that was like available and um oh i just anyway, love this so topic yeah yeah, I do a whole line uh, for Vocali that that uses that that bead, um, and then I do, of course, a whole bunch of other stuff and other gemstones that I do custom work for. And oh, nice. um, thinking about trying to build a website, but gosh, there's just not enough hours. Oh, in yeah, that's it. what we're in the we know. same we're like, state yeah. with the Outlook, Outlook, actually. But so yeah. so can people f um, purchase any of your beadwork online then, or is it just kind of through the the Vocali? Because um, I would I would like to you know consider getting something from you that's not necessarily the evil eye focus but something yeah. else because yeah i do love jewelry when it's uniquely made and personalized and made with right love. now <laughs> right now the only place you can find me is through my email because it's not you know so uh <laughs> so i do a lot of custom work mm -hmm. but people have to know how to find me and, and i don't have a platform for it yet but if people are looking for something from the blind beater and it's the blind beater and every time you say that to Suri they think it's beater as an egg beater <laughs> yeah. but it's more like beater as in I punched you and you're you know you, no be it sorry be as in be the yeah like right. a jewel beads. yeah, the beads. yeah a jewel so b-a-d-e-r the Siri, Siri doesn't get that uh, yeah so the blind beater at outlook.com is the email and I will make oh, okay. just about anything out of just about any gemstones there are some that are not available so don't ask me to make something out of diamonds because there are no diamond beads uh, but there's just about every other one available and the aurora borealis, borealis crystal is very diamond looking Ooh, wow uh, I never heard of that See, I just as a writer, I just love the names of these things. The same yeah, as songs and song lyrics. I just love the way word it's things are worded. 
they're they're beautiful the aurora borealis it can come in lots of colors but because it's crystal um, when it hits the light it kind of shines a little bit like gives you rainbow colors nice um it's quite beautiful and not not intensely like whoa what's that it's like it's you know it's just beautiful and subtle and um completely like it just completely feels like you're connected with earth and land and nature and and i love that i love that yeah wow yeah all this art talk just gets me excited and i know brian's a come you know approaching art in his life differently we we all do that but we're all pretty artistic in our family and so i love to talk about that on outlook and you do a lot of stuff on your podcast accessing art with amy about making art more accessible talking to artists about how they adapt how you can still do these creative things you love even if you're you know going blind or are blind and and that's great all the people you talk to including leona godin yeah so accessing art with amy you can find on on all podcast services it's through ami this, the podcast and yeah I was listening to a few of the episodes and like Carrie says there's just like I think art is one of those words that there's so many different types of art and sometimes it may automatically right. be assumed like oh visual art but you know you have guests on talking about glass casting to pottery to yep. poetry a tattoo artist a comedian so there's just so many areas and for me art is, is music for me and that's that's the area that yep. I really you know feel creative in and just a couple of quick points from that that I noticed the one one interesting thing is that you really do cover a lot of different disabilities on that podcast it's not you know just blind people which I think is really great to see and also um, I noticed that just a big part of art that we talk about on this show too is the fact that it really is a comfort for people and it's a way to kind of feel like you fit into a community and find something to 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 distract yourself or keep you sort of motivated or creative to have that outlet and I just think it's really great to focus on that because that's a big thing for me is music and without having this this ability to make music and also discover so many bands and stuff I just think that's an area that really allows me my brain to relax it helps you, but it also helps get, you stay curious and you know the, as you get older it gives you something to look forward to like there's always something new being created and there's always something new yeah. to find and it's never like oh I just listen to stuff now, I listen to Brian, 30 years are ago you, are you writing the music? Are you a musician? Yeah, I, d- I definitely, I do both. I'm a, I'm a musician. I also have a music radio show. So I, yeah. I play some stuff you, and that's- You curate m- and you also- Yeah, the, the, the musician's a little trickier because it's getting together with other people and that's, you know, you're mashing up schedules. Yeah, you don't do as much music on your own. You you prefer I, to be with- Right, but I love the, I do love the music radio show even more in some ways. I mean, the, the playing is nice because you get to work with people directly in the same room, but- Hosting the radio show is a weekly thing for me, and it allows well, me to. It's good to have something that you do independently, and then also something you do in in community yeah, and, and coordinating with other people, collaborating. That's what I think. That mix, yeah. But um, Amy, you do photography, and I recently went to a show uh, through Fold Fold F O L D A. I guess I, I also follow yeah. Fold. You know, um, it's a chill, it's a literary festival here in Ontario, so I get them mixed up. But it stands for Festival of Live Digital Art. And I went to that on Zoom, and, and that's where you had photography you'd taken, and you got people to who could see to describe what the pictures look like, and then you told people what they actually were, and it was fascinating. How did, what was that like for you? Yeah, it, this is the beginning of a project called Through My Lens, uh, which was uh, myself producing and writing with a local theater company here in Vancouver, and it's about the intersection, my intersection of art, uh, specifically photography and blindness um <clears throat> so everything is is literally through my lens um and what was interesting about this this version that you saw unfold that was a 
the second version of this that we've done, the first version was a live version in front of a live audience at the Vines Festival last year. Uh, and, and Folda had said, hey, if I throw some money at you, will you develop something for our festival? And we were like, okay. So we got a team together and we put together a narrative. So, um, and in, within that narrative, we share some of the photos that I take and we ask folks to describe them. And what I'm interested in is, um, because it's an artistic project, is not necessarily how somebody describes something perfectly. I'm less about that in this context than I am about is there memory that is invoked? And if you see my photo, what does it make you think? So one of the photos was a, a photo that I had taken of my house and you can just sort of see the interior front window. And so inside, you know, it looked like a typical living room kind of setup. but you can't really see most of it because it's not, it's not meant for you to be able to see most of it. So you have to imagine yourself what it would be like if you were inside this house. What would you be doing in this house? What if it was a holiday? Who would be there with you, right? And so it was so interesting to have different folks say different things in that setting about, well, I'd be sitting on the couch reading a book, maybe have a glass of wine or a cup of tea and other folks saying, you know, we'd be playing board games with our family, right? So I'm interested in how people who, and anybody who sees, even if you have partial, uh, is going to look at something and is going to say, huh, that reminds me of, because we come to everything that we experience in life with a whole bunch of baggage, mm -hmm. good and bad, right? Um, so we all, we bring everything with us into into a moment that we enter. And so we are now with this project going to be continuing workshopping. So we spend between two and four weeks together as a group, figuring out what the next step of this project is, trying different things um, before we figure out what the, what the next final thing is. So we're hoping, we're thinking that it'll probably be some kind of experiential uh, art, uh, almost exhibit where people will oh, come in one-on-one -on -one or as a family into a space. I may take a photo of them. Um, we may talk about photography, maybe go through a photo album and have them describe stuff. And the photo that they leave with that I take of them will be obscured in a way that is how I would interpret it. Um, so they will leave with a photo of them and their family, how I see them through my eyes. Nice. Uh, which is kind of neat. So they'll be able to, so, uh, you know, and it's not a perfect representation, but one of our digital creatives is is taking out pieces of images where I'm like, yeah, I don't really see this and I don't know what this is. And so we're, we're trying to sort of make a replica of what it would be like to look through my eyes. Nice. Yeah, I love all of yeah. that. It just gets people to look at art differently and, and yeah. see that it's there's so much you know so much depth to art and it can be whatever you want it to be um, and just because yeah. i don't see it the same way as somebody else doesn't make it of less value or less yeah. beautiful yeah. no beautiful to me right you're blind and you can't see art anymore you you know a lot of photography yeah. all these things and i like one of your pictures at the at the one i attended was of your eye and so i've thought about yeah. before getting someone to access some of my old um yeah. you know photos of the doctor taking the back the photos of the back of my eye and, and incorporate that in some sort of art sometime because it's it's interesting and then yeah so that was my favorite i think uh, picture but the the one in your living room definitely that is an image that evokes a lot from people and and um we're, we're at the end of the show here. Well, we have about four or five oh, minutes, and I don't know if it's a bit of a weird uh, jump here, but I just, I kind of was curious a little bit about um, neurodivergence, and it's just something that we yeah. don't know much about and we don't talk about yeah. on this show. Well, I think we could have a whole show about right. it. Right. But I thought we maybe can. just to kind of just give our listeners a bit of an idea of what, what that is and, and what your experience is with with that. Yeah, so neurodivergence is, or, uh, if you're neurodiverse or non-neurotypical, so people who aren't, we call them neurotypical. 
Um, it's just a, it's how your brain processes things. And so our friends in the autism community um, often identify as neurodiverse. Folks with ADHD often identify with neurodiversity. Myself, I'm dyslexic. Um, so it's just it's a different way of your brain. Your, your brain processes things differently. Um, and so neurodiversity, I think, is not it's not necessarily a, it doesn't have to be a diagnosis. Right. Um, certainly, if you were somebody who was living with perhaps autism or ADHD or dyslexia like myself, you would have a diagnosis. But you don't have to have one to be a member of this club. Right. Um, it's about knowing and being with, in community with folks who process things differently. Ugh. And so when I have conversations with my mother who seems to process things way, you know, in a way different way than I do. So sometimes I say to her, I, I don't understand what it is that you're trying, what you're explaining. I, why am I not understanding this? Right. Can you try a different way of explaining it to me? And, and she would be, get frustrated often my whole life and be like, I don't understand why you don't understand this. Yeah. And it's because my brain doesn't process the same way as a neurotypical brain may process. And so I actually look at it a bit as my superpower. Yes, I'm going to have spelling mistakes in my in my stuff, and that's just a thing. I can never spell the word the properly. It just doesn't happen. Um, you know, I do my best. Yeah, I do my best to try and go back to catch them all, but I'm not going to. So I, you know, it, it just is a it's a thing. And um, you know, I make no apologies for it because it is who I am and it doesn't stop me from doing anything. It's just a little extra consideration. And it it, it makes a big difference now when we think about things like employment. Yeah. Um, you know, if you were to send a cover letter and you'd had a few typos or if you felt spelling mistakes, there was a time where people would say, Oh, that person can't spell. We don't need them. Yeah, I used to and be more but snob about that. Yeah, and now we're starting to look more, looking into more of inclusive hiring processes, which is, okay, maybe this person is not the greatest speller, but what are their other attributes that can really make them successful in the job, right? Yeah, no, I think it's great that that uh, you do talk about that there because it is, we are getting into a time which is nice to see where we are looking more individually at people and realizing. And I know that's a lot of work. I know people think, is, oh, we have to like adapt but, to everybody. We're, we're just giving into people's whims, but no, it's it's realizing that there's more going on under the surface of things. Yeah, yeah, and we could have a whole. I'd like to have a whole series on. Yeah, we'd love things. to have you back again sometime because there is like so much to discuss. I don't know how much we re- got into your, the acting that you've done, but so many things <laughs> that that you do—an actor, an artist. Yeah, people think that you're blind; you can't act. How could you possibly act? I've wanted to consider getting into it. So, you know, we'd love to have you back on to talk about more about what Vocalize up to when it gets back into its new z- season of Almost Live, uh, but also just all the art you're doing is is really, you know, interesting. So, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So well, thank you. Anytime. I, I love this experience and I love spending time. with Yeah. You. And you, you know, you are, you, you're really great in that role as the community outreach coordinator. And, and that's just, you're, you're yeah, great host on those events. Just yeah. such a great energy, I think. Yeah, and just very friendly and yeah, making people feel welcome. So, so thanks for thank coming you. on. Yeah. Yeah. We'll share all the links that we've talked about in our podcast notes, go to vocali.ca to learn more about that. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Send us an email, outlookonradiowestern at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash outlookonradiowestern. Western.